everybody, what's going on? Rob Sistrino back here with another one of our Survivor Game Changer previews. And we're down to the home stretch, about a week and change to go until the Game Changers premiere next Wednesday night, March 8th. This is going to be the first of four Game Changer previews that we've got for you this week. First up today, it's our All Sandra Spectacular. We have two pieces today. All about Sandra. First, we're going to start off with a bona fide survivor historian. Paul Aslison is going to join us. Always fun to catch up with Paul, a world-renowned Sandra expert joining us today to talk about everything from her two winning campaigns out here. And then we're going to check in with a, another longtime Sandra fan. Aaron Robertson is going to join us and talk a little bit more about things that Sandra has said in interviews with me on Rob as a podcast about ways that she would play if she came back for a third time. And we'll talk about how she's going to look at potentially this field of players out there with her in Game Changers. So it's all Sandra today. So you're locked in for an all Sandra Diaz twine spectacular. If you missed it in my last episode, we talked in the all Thomas edition. We talked about JT Thomas and the fan favorite Sierra Dawn Thomas in game changer preview number seven. I heard from a lot of people on social media that they enjoyed that episode. If you missed that one, you want to make sure you don't miss anything else that's coming up your way this week. Again, four game changer previews coming up plus much more. You can subscribe to the podcast, go to Rob slash iTunes. And we do especially appreciate feedback and star ratings as we're getting ready to launch a new season of podcasting for you guys. So let's get the ball rolling talking about Sandra today. And so first you're going to hear my interview with Paul Aslison. He has broken down Sandra's game. He has some very specific keys to her success. We'll get into all that and much more. Here's my interview with Paul. All right, everybody, I'm very excited to get this all Sandra podcast started. And to begin, we are very lucky to have this person here with us who could be, uh, we can check the facts on this, might be the biggest Sandra fan there is. Of course, he has studied her game very closely as one of the survivor historians. You've heard him on this podcast and, of course, his work on the tribe and probably many other places Please welcome back to the podcast our good friend, Paul Asselson. Paul, how are you? Hello, hello. I'm good. If Sandra is the queen, then I think that makes me the king. Yes. Wow. Wow. How about that? King of Sandra history here. I'll, I'll take that title. I'll <laughs> wow. make my own crown and put that on my head. Yeah. But I don't know about that. Okay. All right. So here we are, Paul, ready to talk about Sandra 3.0. Can you believe it? I can't believe the day is here. A huge moment in Survivor history. At, at any point since Heroes vs. Villains, did you have doubt that there would be a third Sandra appearance on Survivor? As much as I love Sandra, I think of a huge wish of mine was that she wouldn't come back just because I feel like there's so much that can be tarnished with her and so much that the fan community can bash on her um, if she doesn't succeed this time around. But I think it was inevitable she was going to do it. I mean, there's been rumblings for a long time that she was in the running with her daughter for Blood versus Water. Um, and she said before, she she doesn't care if she's going to come back and she knows she can't win again, but she's going to come back and hustle and make some money. So I knew this day would come. That being said, if she was to come back and win and go three for three, could the critics, could the many Sandra critics that still are out there say anything? What would they even be able to say? I'm sure they could think of something to say. I don't, I mean, these people can always come up with something to bash on her about. So 
Um, but I mean, it would strengthen her case even more. Uh, what an amazing player she is. Yeah, I was actually a little surprised that I saw her, you know, I've seen her many times over the years, but I was at a thing that was before Survivor 30. And for the 30th season, there was like this sort of like round table that we did with it was Cochran, Parvati, Sandra and me, all of the greats, Paul. I try to I try to watch that, but then uh, YouTube is going to try to make me buy a subscription to Survivor 30 just to watch it. I was yeah. like, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to do my research for this podcast, but That's I hope how there wasn't you. anything groundbreaking. <laughs> <laughs> I hope there was something groundbreaking on that roundtable, so you'll have to let me know on that one. I think I watched it back in the day, but... No, but I, I, even at that time, and I forget if it was on the show or sort of like as we were getting ready, but she was like, yeah, put me back on. I'm ready to go. I'm, re- I'm ready to go yeah. play again. So... This has been a long time coming for Sandra to come back. So I'm very excited to get into everything that Sandra has done with you. But first, could you just speak to your connection with Sandra? Why has she become your favorite player? Obviously, you've studied all of Survivor, but why has Sandra stood out to you, Paul? Well, I think my original love for for Sandra was not instant. When I first watched Survivor Pearl Islands, I was back in middle school, and I, I don't think I paid that much attention to her, even though I was really, really into the show. And it really wasn't until um, my fellow historian Mario Lanza was really writing about her. And he did this post about her that I still is hilarious to this day. If you go to the original Funny 115, you go to his number 18 um, post, Sandra's Potty Mouth. And, you know, he talks about how she's one of only two mothers to have won the show. And um, she's everything that you don't expect a mother to be on the show. And he does this thing at the end because Mario also loves Tina Wesson, who I also love as well. And he does this little swap where he swaps Sandra quotes and Tina quotes. And you and you can read, you see the picture of Sandra and you hear her saying some of the things that Tina says, like, I am not afraid of the dark girlfriend. And you're just like trying to read this and picture Sandra saying these things. And they're so hilarious that that really kind of changed the way I watched Pearl Islands. And then the next time I'd watched it and the times after that, just really like keyed me into how hilarious she was of a character on the show on a season where she's very much overshadowed by Rupert and Johnny Fairplay. Um, so that's kind of what started the love for her. Then when the when the Heroes versus Villains uh, came around, I was very, very excited uh, for her to come back, obviously. And Sandra ran at the time a Survivor impersonation contest to be Sandra. And I have no idea how many people applied for this. And I may have been only one of two people to actually submit this video. No, there's no actually evidence out there of who all applied for this. But to win this contest by Sandra, you had to go on Facebook you had to make this video of you doing a, an impression of Sandra. I think the I think the parameters were like you picked like your favorite Sandra scene or something like that, and you did this little video uh, doing an impression of her. And so uh, I did that, and I won. And she sent me a sassy gram and an autographed picture of Heroes versus Villains. And obviously, the whole time during Heroes versus Villains, I was rooting for her all the way. And um, it's just, I don't know, it's been love ever since then. I think she's an amazing player, obviously, which we'll get into here in this podcast, but also amazing television. I think she's one of the funniest people, if not the funniest person to ever be on the show. She just, I mean, anything she says is a great quote. Okay, so Sandra, of course, the only two-time winner of Survivor to date. And so what do you think are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have about Sandra the player? I think one of the misconceptions about her, so like when, when I take a look at her game and it was... Like everyone just talks about, you know, as long as it ain't me and that that is the Sandra strategy. You even one time asked her on a podcast about this and you said, is that an oversimplification? And like the the huge Sandra fan wants me to say, yes, say yes. It's that you're, you're simplifying it too much. There's so much more there to it. And she just goes, nope, that's it. 
Like mm-hmm. that's my strategy. Um, but really, you know, listening to the evolution of strategy again, listening to you and Josh talk about her watching the show, listening to historians again, I really tried to break down her strategy into f- four main components. And one of those components for sure is her strategy of as long as it ain't me and three more days, as long as she makes it three more days, then she's going to make it. But I think that's only one fourth of of the Sandra strategy pie. Okay, what are the other parts? The first section, like I said, is the uh, as long as it ain't me, three more days. Um, I think one other section of her um, of her strategy is what I kind of dubbed her sneaky Sandra. So I call it sneaky Sandra and sticky situations. There's a lot of alliteration there, <laughs> but situation like that (laughs) kind of like that actually and then you kind of throw the sneaky sneaky sticky situations this can be a a whole thing about a about sandra um but i mean yeah you gotta you gotta put those together so it really runs really nice and uh through there every time we talk about sandra okay i'm sorry i don't mean i don't need to get distracted we have too much to talk about okay anybody but me sneaky sandra the sneaky Sandra. These are the types of things we see Sandra do when she dumps out the fish and she blames Krista. This is what we see her do when she's spying on Burton and John and getting information and dragging Tawana through the dirt to find her when she's up on Russell as he's looking for um, his idol, those types of things. Um, also combined with how good she is at telling kind of half-truths and manipulation. And, and I don't know if you remember the podcast you did with Tyson um, it must have been his first recap he did after he won. He says in the podcast that Sandra was his biggest inspiration for going back. He says her ability to tell half truths, manipulate things is so underrated and she deserves more strategic credit. So I think that's a huge chunk of her game, this kind of sneaky manipulative side of Sandra that sometimes we don't talk about as much as we should. I agree. So what are the other two parts? Um, the other part is her, I call it, it's really hard to sum it up. I call it bold, blunt, fearless, reckless is kind of all the like sharp edges of Sandra. So there is something to her that she is bold about things. Um, and this is where it kind of was contradict the fact that she's all about just getting three more days because she admits that, uh, on a podcast with you and other places that at the villains tribe, when two sides were forming there and there was the talk about, you know, if they would have gone to rocks and Sandra tells you flat out on the podcast, I would have gone to rocks. You're like, what? You'd go to rocks? It's, it's, you know, three more days. What's that? And she goes, Oh, I have good luck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a part of her that has this kind of like, she knows she's lucky. She's going to pull that rock if she has to, because she knows she's not going to pull the bad one. Um, and then with that also comes her bluntness, her argumentativeness, all these fights, her fights with John and with Burton and Lil and Parvy and Danielle and Jerry and coach. Um, there is a part about her that somehow contributes to her success in the game that she is blunt and a little bit reckless with with uh, her interactions in the game. That's so funny that you talk about her belief in her own luck. I mean, I think it really is amazing that I remember one of these years at the reality rally and they were having, you know, these hotels that people stay at. And one of the year, I think it might have been like the first year that they did it. There's like a nearby casino and we were staying at the casino. I just remember her like going off to go and I forget which casino game uh, that she was going to go play. And she was just like, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm really lucky. So she's really she's a big believer in this. Right. And she is. And, you know, part of her her record for voting in the game between her two seasons, she's voted 19 out of 24 times correctly, which I mean, it's not a horrible record. But for a survivor winner and especially a survivor winner that that the community has praised as to being a really good player, you should probably be voting, you know, correctly most of the time. She has many times where she votes against her best interest. She votes against the best interest of her alliance just because you know, she doesn't like someone or, or she wants to, um, you know, make a statement or something. So it's all worked out for her. 
to date. All right. What's the fourth part of the Sandra four pillar approach? I think this is the most important one. And, and with this kind of comes a big discussion about her and her ranking among the survivor winners. And I call it her sound social game. So I think if you look closely at Sandra, you see how much she does prioritize building connections and relationships with people. Now, part of this is uh, the fact that, and and I have a, another thing here I can talk about after this, where we talk about her structural similarities between her seasons and what what um, leads to her success, uh, is that in the beginning, luckily, luckily for Sandra, she has not yet gone, goes, she doesn't go to tribal council very much in the very beginning. So she really does prioritize building relationships with people. I remember when she's on talking to you on Redemption Island, she's talking a lot about, I can't remember who she's talking about, Christina or something, and how, you know, really, instead of looking for that idol, she should have been braiding people's hair. She should have been hanging out with people in the shelter, build up those relationships with people. So I think that even though we think of her as this really brash person who's always fighting with people, there's a huge part of Sandra that is about building a core group. She has a buddy both seasons. She has her Krista, she has Courtney, you know, she's in Rupert's crew, she's in Rob's crew. She is very good at making kind of a group of people who really stick up for her and who she sticks up for. And then the most important thing about her is that when she gets to the end of the game, she knows how to get the votes in the end. And sometimes what she says in these tribal councils or how she gets the votes is not something that the survivor online community in particular is always fond of. Everyone comes down on her for her answer to Tawana in the Pearl Islands. When she tells Tawana, you know, Tawana says, why shouldn't Lil win? And Sandra says, well, Lil voted every one of you out. I didn't vote off Krista. I didn't vote off Rupert. And so the survivor strategist watching this is saying, like, how idiotic, like, what a dumb answer. And yeah, she loses Tawana's vote there. But she knows, like, that's what Kristen and Rupert want to hear. Like, that's a good answer for her. Similarly, I think in the in Heroes versus Villains, it really becomes her story that she's so anti Russell, mm-hmm. um, and, and and that kind of ends up being you know the reason she wins is because she is the person who does stand up to Russell the whole time. You talk a lot about that and the evolution of strategy, and she really kind of comes off as she wants to keep people around she likes, and she wants to get rid of these people that other people don't like, and that's what gets her the votes in the end. And it, it's hard for I think people who are really big strategists to really value that when we really want to see someone go to the end. And just have it, you know, so perfectly lined up. I did this move. I did this move. I did this move. That's not how she does it. But she gets to the end and she gets the votes in the end. Yeah, this is a really great list that you put together. And when you sort of look at it in the big picture view, she's going to have a perception that she tells it like it is because she's so blunt and everybody has the impression that she's a straight shooter, which at the same time allows her to tell these half truths, uh, which people are very likely to believe because they feel like she's so blunt and trustworthy. She's going to tell off the people that she doesn't like. And so if you're one of the people that she is telling off, then you know where you stand. And if she's not telling you off, you feel good about her. You want to keep her around. She's an ally. And because she appears to be so weak that the people who are her enemies say, "Okay, we'll worry about her later. So they tend to keep her around longer than they should when they know that she's targeting them. Right. And then, you know, I think then. When, when she doesn't, what, what Tyson talked about his podcast, you know, he alludes to these half truths that she's telling. She's, she rarely does like a full out lie. And we, and so the times that when she actually does kind of make up a, a huge thing or, or a really bold faced lie, it's really effective because she's built so much trust with these people. I mean, her, her famous scene at, in the final five in the Pearl Islands, this is the scene that won me the, the contest with her. It's when Johnny Fairplay approaches her and tells her, and she goes, he was like, swear on your kids. And then he was like, let me see your hands. Cause I 
I guess he didn't want me to have my fingers crossed. How dumb is that? I said, I swear on my kids that I'm with you. But in my head and mumbling under my breath, I was like, I swear on my kids, I'm going to screw you and Burton. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I had to plug myself there. I've gotten even better with that one. So. Yeah, great job. All right, well, let's go back and talk about her Pearl Island season and see if we have any of these moments that we can pinpoint uh, like that one. So I think that Sandra's first episode in Pearl Islands when they get off the boat and they have to go into the village and yes. do all of the bartering for all the supplies, I think that might be her best episode of the whole season, maybe outside of that final five episode. Oh, she's oh, she is great in that episode. She's great in the village. We talked about uh, a couple of years ago. We talked about um, how the winners are portrayed in their yes. very first episode. And we had talked about how Sandra fell in the category as an asset based winner that in the first episode, she's really highlighted everything she's bringing to the tribe. Luckily for her, she ends up being at this Panamanian village that speaks Spanish, but you know, she's, she's already right away. Johnny Fairplay is the first one to really talk about how great it is to have Sandra. In addition to her, making good strategic progress relationships in the game. She's also just a great, you know, character in that first episode. I mean, she's like, has so many quotes just in that first episode with her, with the lady at the store with Trisha and, you know, laughing and giggling, you know, but I think she liked her in yeah. a sexual way. <laughs> AKA Corazon, as she's known on the, uh, on, on the online survivor community. <laughs> she liked her eyes. That's right. And the best of our Sandra's calling her Trisha the whole time. The lady at the store was like hugging and giggling with Trisha. We don't know how that story ended. That that, that woman and uh, Trisha, they might be married by now. That, that's true. Who knows what happened with those mm. uh, those outcasts? Yeah, <laughs> nobody knows. So eventually the Drake tribe is going to land and they're going to get set up there in that tribe of eight in Pearl Island. So how does Sandra fare in the early days of Pearl Island's uh, pre-merge? Well, we know that pre-merge, um, and this is something we'll talk about when we get to heroes versus villains. The first half of pre-merge, she's almost virtually always immune. And this is the case for the first three tribal councils in the Pearl Islands. And the second half of the pre-merge, she'll go to tribal council every single time. So the first three episodes of Pearl Islands really just gives her a chance to really get to know the people in her tribe. I know there's some people talk about it. I think Krista talks about it going into the final tribal councils of Pearl Islands that she said a lot of people, you know, expected Sandra to be the first person voted out of the tribe. So I don't know exactly when that actually changed. That was a first impression, but either way, she has, she has uh, three rounds there where she really gets herself into a tight alliance. We don't hear much from her in the first couple episodes. Um, we, you know, we get obviously her really great episode in the village and she has some funny lines about the, the Morgan tribes and their dingalings getting caught on a vine or something, but she's pretty quiet uh, until we get to around episode three and she has kind of this blow up with John. And so it's, that's the famous scene her. She can get loud too. What the F you know what? I can get loud too. What the f <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I use that one all the time. I teach a uh, kindergarten. That's what I tell the kids when they get too loud. <laughs> Works really well. So what was that over? Why did Johnny Fairplay start to get into Sandra's face about this? Because, the, well, and it, it kind of comes down to what we're talking about here is that in the beginning, she's seen as this weaker player who's very vulnerable. And I think she's smart enough that she's not going to let Johnny Fairplay say, okay, Sandra, you're the weakest in every challenge. You sit out. She's going to stick up for herself. And she thinks she's stronger with John in a lot of ways. So they're deciding who's going to swim in that scene uh, going into right. the challenge. And she tells John that he, that she's a stronger swimmer than him. And he starts fighting with her. And she, she starts going on about the day we jumped off the boat. Where were you when I was already on shore? Still in the damn water. And so that kind of explodes there. But I think that that's also a great you know, sign for Sandra that she's not going to let herself 
be automatically assumed the weakest. So even though she's building all these relationships within the Drake tribe and she's forming a core group, she's already having disputes with people that doesn't seem to put her in jeopardy. And it's what, episode three? Yeah, but she wants to control the messaging that she's not the weakest person in that group. So at the point where Drake is looking like they're on a roll, we get to the point where Drake is going to throw a challenge. Does Sandra speak up against throwing this challenge? She's very quiet. She's very much in the back scenes here. We don't really even get to see how much, because it's hard to pinpoint in this group. Like We know we have Burton and Sean and Michelle on the outside, and then we kind of get that the rest of the other five are kind of together here, but it's kind of hard to figure out the hierarchy. So we we don't really hear her talking too much about throwing the challenge, but we assume she's on board uh, to get rid of Burton because um, Rupert seemed like the one person who was not as big into throwing the challenge because he's Rupert. And it's not until, you know, we lose Burton, he loses, we lose Michelle. It's not until that episode six that we really kind of see her make any kind of power move when the information's brought to her from John and Trish that they're, they want to take out Rupert right now pre-merge. And that's when we first see Sandra having to make a decision and deciding who she's going to go with. So once Rupert is out of the mix, we start to see a lot of this plan that Fair Play hatches where he wants to get rid of Burton and he is going to defect from that group and vote along with Sandra and Krista and a couple of other people, I guess, to take Burton out at this First tribal council for Drake. Uh, yeah, and and uh, he, she really is not in the forefront for much of that at all. She's just kind of sitting back, and, and that's something she says at the reunion shows that in the beginning of the game, she's like, everyone's wasting their energy doing all the strategizing. I'm going to sit back and wait till they need a vote. There's no there's no use wasting my energy on this. So she's happy to go along with her buddy Krista and go along with this plan to get rid of Burton. So by the tribal council where things turn against Trish, then Rupert is back in the fold. What's Sandra's role in all that, taking out one of her allies? So John and Trish have this like powwow and they're kind of discussing. They're saying, you know, um, you know, Rupert, he's friends with the Morgan tribe. He's good with everyone here. He's going to win this game. We need to take him out. And Trish and John kind of, ha- you know, it's it's been talked about afterwards how this, this good connection they had. They were the schemers there. Their plan is they assume they have Sandra. Now, we don't see them say like, Sandra, are you in on this? Sandra's just sitting there and they're assuming, oh, Sandra's our buddy. Sandra's our number. She's with us. And they said, OK, we don't even need to tell Krista because we don't need her vote. We'll tell Sean at the last minute. We'll pull in Sean and we have our votes. Boom, get Rupert gone. They leave the they leave the uh, the shelter and Sandra goes right to Krista and says, I don't know about this, Krista. She's like, I think we need to hold on to Rupert a little bit longer. She does not feel secure losing one of her closest allies and uh, and going with Trish and John. So a big move made to take Trish out. And then we go into not yet the merge, but we're going to have the outcasts coming into the game. And of course, uh, we have the return of Lil and Burton, and then they have to vote off somebody else from Drake. And so could you just talk about uh, Sandra's role in deciding to get rid of Sean Cohen instead of Johnny Fairplay here? <laughs> right. One of the survivor greats. We don't talk enough about him, right? No. Um, <laughs> you know, this is kind of where we first, this is the, the first as long as it ain't me type of quote we get. She's kind of like, hmm, I'm with Chris, I'm with Rupert. She doesn't really care which one of them goes. So she, she has this quote where she's talking about John and Sean, she kind of sets them up. It's kind of her idea to set them up and have them uh, kind of go at it. And she like just says, you know what? Council. 
Right. She's like, they're always fighting. I'm glad it's not me. Let them duke it out. You know, let them kill each other, vote for each other. As long as it ain't Sandra, I'm happy. Yeah. And so she's just fine with letting Sean go. So we get into the merge and Sandra loves the merge. This is really Sandra's time to shine because we've talked about her potential liabilities in the challenges. But now that liability becomes an advantage for her because nobody is ever saying Sandra is a physical threat. We need to take her out because she is going to block me from winning immunity. And so once again, I have to believe uh, in any of her seasons, if she makes it to the merge, pencil her in for the end game. Right. I mean, and, and it, no, it's, put it in pen, Paul. That's it. <laughs> we don't even need a pencil here. But she once she gets there, she this is she gets like you said, it's her area where she can even make some what we would maybe consider mistakes, not voting the right way for a time flipping. This is in Heroes versus Villains, you know, flipping to the other side and then having to flip back because it's not going the way she has room to wiggle with where she makes these missteps and it doesn't cost her. Yes, there is a lot of wiggle room for Sandra in the post merge game. All right. So. How does she see the post-merge situation in Pearl Island? Is is she one of the forces that's deciding Andrew Savage goes home? Um, we we really, really don't hear from her. As long as Rupert's kind of in control, we kind of hear what Rupert's doing, and we really don't know much about her about that that tribal council. It's a pretty that's a pretty jam packed episode, so we don't really get to hear from most people going into that vote. Then Rhino is going to go out as well, and so the next major moment that happens in the season is Rupert going out. Sandra, obviously blindsided. She doesn't know that Rupert is going to go. Uh, We have the situation which comes up after that, where she decides to throw out the fish. How did losing one of her key allies in Rupert change her game in the Pearl Islands? Like she said, she was asked out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Asked out without Rupert. Uh, You know, I really think that's what puts the fire under her. They do include some scenes of her, um, that, that Rhino episode, which is an episode that kind of gets, you know, crapped on a lot and, and Pearl Islands is the one episode that kind of sucks. There's a lot of setup for what's going to happen in the Rupert boot. And even though it's not Sandra and Krista who take up, who play a part in taking, uh, getting Rupert out, there is a scene shown of them in the water and they're talking about how, you know, we got to get rid of Burton and Rupert eventually. Let's have these girls go to the end because, you know, Rupert's too big of a threat. Mm. So that's another time we hear her, even though she's always about three more days, three more days, long as it ain't me. We do get, you know, indication that she is thinking about those bigger threats. So even though she isn't the one to take out Rupert, um, it, it, I think it opens up a lot of doors for her because she wasn't the one to take out Rupert, but now she's really got to scramble. She's had, for, from every elimination now until the end, she has to scramble. Well, up until now, she has not. She has been much more in the power alliance and now it's going to change week to week, um, heading into the, all the way up to the final two. Yeah. And would you say that Sandra is at her best when she is in this underdog position? Oh, yeah. It's so much fun to watch. You know, her threatening to, you know, she's she's scheming. She's pulling people into the bushes. She's it's that's when Sandra is her best for sure. We get the most comedic out of her. And then we also see her. We get to see more exactly how she thinks about things because her neck is on the line a little bit more. Yeah, it's really fun because it's when she's at her most outspoken. But again, her enemies often underestimate her. So she kind of gets away with murder in both of her seasons, being able to say anything she wants to anybody. Right. I mean, she can pick up the fish, dump it out and uh, nothing happens to her. Okay, so a lot of stuff happens following the Rupert boot. We mentioned the fish where then Krista ends up taking the fall for it. She never vouches for Krista and says, hey, just so you guys know, it wasn't my best friend in the game that you guys are going to planning to vote out over this she just lets krista take the fall for that 
Uh, she's going to end up being voted out uh, in the next tribal council following this one. But this is also when we get the infamous dead grandma loved ones visit. And I would be remiss if we didn't talk about Sandra and her contributions to that. Yeah, well, she didn't buy it from the beginning. So <laughs> <laughs> everyone's crying here. And I, I was listening to us talk about this on Historians when, when we talked about this a couple of years ago. The best part about the scene is you have John and you have... Sandra, who's not buying it, she looks so annoyed at the whole thing. Uh, when she gets her first pick of which loved one she wants to send, you know, to jump into the water, to go back to jump into the water, even though everyone has decided we're going to give this to John so he can spend time with his loved one, it goes to her and she goes, fair plays, buddy, like <laughs> right away. And then you have Lil on the other side going, his grandmother just died. And she's just like really selling the seat here. So you have kind of Lil and Sandra, the two finalists here that... Sandra's kind of trying to like, you know, not buying any of it. And Lil's really kind of selling it for John. Yeah. And fair play. I just want to get some updates. She really does help make that scene because of how much uh, she's just not even moved by it while everybody else is. And so then the other big thing in this episode, again, a huge Sandra episode. She is going to try to get Tawana to flip a back against uh, fair play and Burton because she is going to pull them aside. And uh, this is where we see sneaky Sandra show up. And she's going to eavesdrop on Fair Play and Burton talking about how that they are, what, not going to take Tawana to the end? Is that what they say? Right, that they're stringing along the Morgan girls and just keep, you know, making them feel like, you know, keep up your final deals with them, you know, string them along. I think this is where we all see how perceptive Sandra is at the social game. She says, it was better for her to hear it with her own ears than to have it come out of my mouth or something, she says like that, and for her to have doubt. She understands how... Tawana needed to hear it herself because earlier that episode, uh, Sandra talks about later on that those girls were horrible. They were saying about how, you know, you bitches are next to Krista and, and Sandra and all this tension here. And she said she knew she needed to take Tawana over there and, and show that to her. So that's definitely that sneaky side of Sandra in a, in a sticky situation. Yes. But here's Tawana, even though she heard what's going on, she's <sighs> still not willing to flip sides. Sandra, I think, shows off her flexibility here. She hates Fair Play's guts. She wants nothing to do with him, but she ends up brokering a deal with her and Krista to go to a Final Four deal with Fair Play and Burton. Right, and this is a move that is not talked about that much. I think it's very much overshadowed by the dead grandmother um, lie. And I think what happens here is really is more a matter of, of Tawana self-destructing. She goes and tells Burton, that's not on the show, that Burton, you better pack your bags. And she just is ends up being too much of a loose cannon that when the opportunity presents herself to go back to work with John, um, that Sandra's going to take that risk and jump over there. I think, even though she hasn't talked that much about it, because she doesn't want to work with... Uh, she can work with John better than she can work with Tawana. Tawana sucks at the game too much. Mm-hmm. All right. So at the final six tribal council, this is where Sandra loses Krista. And again, Sandra's not going to stick her neck out that much to try to save Krista. No, I mean, she she can go. <laughs> yeah, she's that's fine. Final five, baby. Right. OK, so now let's talk about Sandra's real master stroke here in Pearl Island at the final five. And just to set the stage there, this is, of course, when Burton is going to win the car reward. The car curse rears its ugly head as Burton wins a truck. And then he gets to pick one person for an overnight reward. He picks fair play and they leave the three women behind in Sandra, Lil, and Dara 
to fend for themselves and they feel like, okay, well, we'll just go back tomorrow and we'll fix everything. But here's where Sandra really changes up the game and probably pulls off her most important move in Pearl Island. Right. Because at this point, she's threatening to, you know, pull a Russell hands here and burn down the shelter and hide the machetes. And she's ready to self-destruct. She knows she's out of the game. So when she gets this opportunity, because the guys think that these girls couldn't put up a plan if they tried because they're so dumb, you know, she capitalizes on Lil's insecurities that the boys want to vote off Darrow over Sandra. I don't appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Poor Lil. Um, so she really capitalizes on that and then uses that information to, you know, keep talking to Dara about, oh, they're actually going to come after you. And um, they kind of concoct this plan to uh, when the when the guys come back from the reward, they're going to say, this is horrible. You guys talk. You got you guys talk through so many better ways to handle this in the way that the, the girls actually do it is that the Dara and Lil are going to say, nope, Sandra didn't talk to us at all about no strategy. Nope. She didn't say anything. Yeah. Um, so Sandra by far is the best, uh, you know, actor in this in this situation. But, you know, Sandra plays a part of she's down and out. And um, and this is where she makes that that promise to, to John that she's with. Uh, John and Burton to the to the end, and uh, we know that you know she was uh, telling what her lips were saying was different. What she was swearing in her head. Yeah, she pulls it off uh, to a T, and she's like, you know, under a blanket when they come back and acting like uh, she's really depressed. Really, really fun stuff to watch. So, talk to me about at the final four. How does she end up back voting with fair play again after this? Right. It's just, and I think that final four situation, you really kind of get a clear picture of her as long as it ain't me strategy. She's not really concerned with who, which one of the three she's going to be with in the end. She's confident she can beat them all. And so there's a situation where Lil comes to her and says, or I think, I don't know who comes first. Like they go, Dara comes to her and says, you know, maybe we should get rid of Lil because she's bawling over her, uh, her letter that she got that her son, you know, wrote to her and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Pete Rose and that whole thing. And she says, you know, Lil proposes we should get rid of Dara because she's too big of a threat. And she says, okay, fine. It could be Dara. Um, and then it flips around when, when Dara leaves and they say, okay, let's get rid of Lil. And she goes, oh, it could be Lil. I don't really give a damn which one of them goes as long as it ain't me. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I just, yeah, I, I think she, I think she, what she ends up recognizing, which isn't talked about on the show, is she knows that once Dara doesn't have that immunity, because luckily Rupert and the jury can, yeah. you know, best twist ever, they steal the immunity. Like a Fugazi immunity challenge where nobody gets immune at the final four. Right. I, yeah. What a great moment. <laughs> um, they, you know, I think she realizes that Dara has to go because she might win her way to the end. And as we know, Sandra is not a challenge beast. So. That's what has to happen there. Okay. And now at this point, she's set up extremely well. She goes into the final three immunity challenge. Uh, I believe she's the first one out there. And then it sets up a showdown between Fair Play and Lil. And it's very funny with Lil like, I do calisthenics. I do exercise. Look at this. John. These are called squats and aerobics. (laughs) So she ends up uh, with Lil wanting to take Sandra and uh, Sandra does. I don't even think needs to do anything to get Lil to take her to the end. She just knows that Lil hates fair play. And she's going to take Sandra to the end. Right. But I mean, there, there is a big part of her. And one thing, I don't know how exactly to describe it. There's, there's kind of a part of Sandra that is a little bit realistic too with things. Like she prepares herself to go home because she knows that, you know, fair play is not, 
you know, what would be a better pick for a little take to the end. So she even said after tribal council, she was prepared to go. I, I think that that's important about her too. She says one time in an interview with you, but the minute that you're saying, I'm running the show, I'm running the game. She's like, that's the minute you go home. So I never feel like she feels like a hundred percent. I'm going to be there in the end because she literally just getting one tribal council buy at a time. But Yep, she squeaks into the end there with Lil because Lil doesn't want John to go party away all that money. And Sandra and Lil battle it out in the final tribal council. I think Sandra ends up with six, six. of the Both final times votes. She's won. She's won six votes. Anything of note from the final tribal council? We touched on a little bit that she's not necessarily one of the most eloquent final tribal council performers, but effective. Right. I mean, she she handles things so well. She doesn't break down about things. I mean, Lil says the reason why she shouldn't win is because she called all these people MFers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Sandra just like, I still think I'm a good person, regardless if I cussed you out. That's how I was feeling at the time. And, you know, there's just something that was just very relatable about Sandra. She was consistent. She was honest. She spoke from the heart. And that's how she that's how she wins in the end. Now, Sandra, it had always been rumored that she was in the mix to potentially come back in Survivor All-Stars. That doesn't happen. She ends up having a 13 season layoff before she comes back in season 20. Paul, did you notice any adjustments that Sandra makes to her game in between the first time she plays and the second time? You know, I really don't. Um, Maybe as we talk this through here, I can point out a few things as we talk it through. But I think what was really important that I heard you and Josh talking about right at the end of Evolution of Strategy for Heroes versus Villains, you talk about all these failed heroes and villains who... Um, they change what they do the first time, and then like that's what what fails them in the end. Parvati, you know, doesn't do her all girls alliance in the end. She kind of goes a different route, and she ends up losing. JT played like a hero the first time. He's going to play like a villain, and he loses. And even though Sandra is on the season with the biggest gap between her games, um, so I think that is an advantage that she had is because she's a little bit you know. People weren't thinking about her as much. She really kind of comes in playing the same Sandra game. I mean, we see right away in the beginning, she's doing the as long as they ain't me strategy. I think that she is who she is. I don't know if she came in and said in Game Changers, I'm going to play this way, if it would be effective. I think she only can be Sandra. I mean, and she says, she says in the pregame heroes, heroes versus villains stuff, you know, she's like, She's going to do the same thing. Write that check for her. You know, Sandra Diaz hyphen twine. That's what mm-hmm. she tells the the person interviewing her. So I think she comes out and does the exact same thing. And and she's a big person, too. I'm talking about not overthinking about it before you going into the game. She's like, you don't know who you're going to be with. You don't know what strategies are going to be there. She's all about, you know, throwing into a situation and she's going to adapt. She's not she's not sitting at home at night, you know, brainstorming. What am I going to do this season? She shows up and she plays her game. She hustles as she describes it. She shows up on the villain's tribe here in season 20 and she very quickly is in really good with this six person alliance with Boston Rob with Courtney with Tyson with Jerry and coach even to start off the game leaving uh, Russell and Parvati and Danielle DiLorenzo and Randy out in the cult and and like we were talking about with the beginning of Pearl Islands is she's not gonna have to worry really about going to tribal council you know for a long time she goes the you know if you divide in their pre-merge games the first half, she doesn't go to tribal council at all in Pearl Islands. And now in Heroes versus Villains, the first five tribal councils, she's only going to be there once. And that's the vote off Randy. So again, she does the same thing she's able to do 
uh, in Pearl Islands is she's getting this group of people. She's getting her buddy Courtney. She's in this group, this Rob's group with Tyson. And like you said, Jerry's there too and coach a little bit too. So she really does have this time to build up you know, relationships. And there's a really great scene in that first episode of Heroes vs. Villains where she makes the bet with Rob for a dollar right. if Coach is going to fall out of the tree. Right. Yeah, that's where she gets that kind of, you know, hint at the at the win there. They want to put that in there for that. So, I mean, you can, no matter if Sandra's in a, a ton of the episode or a little bit of the episode, she's always going to deliver with some great scenes. Okay, now the first time the villains are going to go to Tribal Council is when Randy is going to go out. And we do see Sandra telling people, hey, I don't care who goes home at this Tribal Council. I believe she says it's a coach. That as long as it's not talking to her. Yeah, she's telling him. She's like, I'm going to tell it like this. I'm not in trouble. Therefore, I don't need all I'm going to do. Where's everybody at? Boom. That's it. Done. That's it. Like, and I remember that was the first time we started podcasting on the tribe. And I remember one of my co-hosts saying like, oh, that strategy is going to get tired really, really fast. You know, her just saying, as long as it's not me, whatever you guys want to do, that's going to get real old and get her out really fast. Yeah. But, uh, that was not the case. It's very effective because to the other players, it's like, okay, great. This person wants to vote with me. So she ends up uh, being safe in that alliance up until we start to run into some major problems coming up at the infamous vote where Tyson goes home. Now, Sandra's feud with Russell, where does that begin in this season? Um, you know, and actually we, we, we didn't talk about that too much. We got to make sure we touch on, you know, the, the parallels between her feud with, with fair play early uh, in season seven and now her feud with him. I mean, it starts pretty much uh, pretty early on with him looking for the Island stuff and she calls him a stupid ass and stuff. Um, but I, I think it's really going to take off even further once uh, Boston Rob leaves and we don't have Rob kind of speaking for that whole group, but we do get, I mean, we do get little bits and pieces that she doesn't really like, um, like Russell, but we really get her real big quote about how much she doesn't like Russell and his group of girls once Boston Rob's gone. And so Tyson ends up going out in this crazy tribal council where Russell plays the idol on poverty. And then we get to the point where Boston Rob is going to go home. Sandra and Courtney are willing to go down with the ship here and follow Rob on his Hail Mary to stay in the game. But this is going to put them in a very dire position now once Boston Rob is out of the game because they are looked at as the two weakest members of this villains tribe. And this is probably the most trouble that Sandra ever gets into in her survivor career. Right. This would have almost been like if, uh, you know, had Rupert actually gone home and they would have had a few more episodes in the Pearl Islands and she and Krista would have been the people on the outside. That's kind of what happens here that they actually do take out the, the big player in the season. And so we're going to have to see her really fight through the next couple, a uh, few episodes, come up with some, some strategies and sneakiness to get, to get herself to the merge. Now, we talked about Sandra's big move in Pearl Islands, but I think actually her biggest move here in Heroes vs. Villains comes pre-merge, and it comes on this round of voting where Coach goes home. Can you talk about the Sandra seed that she plants in Russell's head? Right. And I think it's important to know, too, this was not, and she'll say this now, too, this was not a full-out lie. This is, I think, what Tyson is alluding to about her being able to take up, uh, take on a, a half-truth, uh, something that she's kind of picking up on. Obviously, she's picking on some dissent from Coach and Russell. Like, I mean, it's obvious just watching, too, that Coach doesn't kind of like how Russell, you know, his decision to get rid of Boston Rob and all these things. So she really goes and talks to Russell and really tells him, like, oh, you know, Coach was saying all these things about getting you out and all this stuff. 
stuff and and then it cuts to confession of her where she's talking about how Russell's so stupid he ate that crap up I'm telling you uh and then that's when she has this really great line about her saying with me he don't know what he got himself into uh so that really just spirals out of control and instead of uh instead of taking out Courtney or Sandra you know Russell turns his girls and they take out coach there at the final 12 yeah it was a really fun moment uh in that season and then we end up with a tribal council coming right after that, where now Sandra or Courtney is going to go home. She doesn't have another rabbit left to pull out of her hat. And the two of them are going to be really on the hot seat. And so at this point, it's going to be either Sandra or Courtney, but she never buries Courtney. She never really comes out and, and says the like makes the case why it needs to be Courtney to the rest of the group. Right. And I think I mean, I think she's like. She's running on a high here. She just got Outback Steakhouse. I mean, she is like feeling her <laughs> luck and she she knows it's going to be Courtney. And so this is a, like an amazing inflection point in the game and in the season because, you know, Sandra's going to go on to win. But she easily could have been voted out at this spot. I remember I remember exactly where I was, who I was with watching that episode because I just said, I was, oh, my God, it's done. She's out. She's out. It's over. And I thought for sure, I thought for sure going into the merge you know, Sandra, she's won the game before. She's known for being a flipper. I mean, I, I think you guys talked about the evolution of strategy about how it, you know, it probably is the best move for them because they know the connection that Courtney would have on the other side. But just to think about the fact that Rupert was on the other side and the fact that, you know, Sandra was, was, is known for being flexible and jumping ship. And as long as it isn't her, she'll do whatever and how she doesn't like Russell and all these things. And somehow they still think she's a better person to bring with them into their core five to go into the merge. It's pretty, pretty incredible. Whatever relationship or whatever she does there to make sure it's not her. Okay. Well, they get to the merge. And at this point you see a pretty united front with Russell, with Parvati, with Danielle and with Jerry. But Sandra is the one person who is willing to do some freelancing. She's trying to tell Rupert what's up and he doesn't really seem to be receptive. No, I mean, right away, he's not. And what we see from Rupert is Rupert will be the one person who starts to kind of like absorb that and be like, you know what? Maybe she's right about these things. But as soon as Rupert goes to JT, JT shuts it down. Nope, no way. Uh-uh, not at all. Um, and so even though Rupert is much more willing to to listen to Sandra, he can't really go anywhere with it. And so she's just kind of stuck there, you know, and it's, she's talking about here, her number one goal at this point, she's not looking at the end game. She's looking, let me get rid of Russell. Russell's my number one adversary. I got to get him out of the game because she feels like, you know, that's, that's jeopardizing her game and she doesn't like him and doesn't want him around. And so that becomes her number one um, objective, which we learn in the next, you know, this episode and the next one is just, it's not going to happen. She has to kind of give up on that. And then at this point, this is also when JT has sent the letter and the immunity idol to Russell. Also, Parvati has found a hidden immunity idol. So she ends up with two hidden immunity idols. Danielle DiLorenzo is going to win individual immunity and Parvati will use her two idols. Uh, she will play one on Jerry and one on Sandra, and JT will go home here, giving the villains a 5-4 majority. Correct. And so even though JT goes home here, there's still some hope moving into this next episode because she is, uh, you know, wants to work with Candace here. She can jump over. Or she wants to jump over to the heroes, and what she finds is that there's kind of a squeaky wheel here. And you kind of really see some really good kind of being able to pick up on things. He's talking to Russell here and Russell's already kind of got convinced Candace to come over. And he's telling her that we'll have five, uh, five votes, five against three or whatever the numbers are. 
or five against four, or I don't know, I'm doing the math wrong, but he, he's counting it out with her and she's thinking in her head, she tells him, no, 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 you're doing the math wrong. And Russell's kind of being sly about this. It's like, oh, no, no, we got an extra one. We got an extra one. So that's when she goes back to the heroes. She's telling him someone on here is flipping or someone is making Russell believe that someone's flipping. And right again, you know, you have Colby and Rupert. Are, nope, nope, that's not happening. Nope, nope, not at all. And she, at this point, I mean, what else can she do? She's just fed up with, she's trying to work with these heroes and they're, they're self-imploding. So Amanda Kimmel ends up going home in this spot. Then we get to the episodes where Candace and Danielle go out in the double episode. So what is Sandra doing here? I think this is probably her quietest time in the game. We kind of see her talk a little bit more in the end, but once she is, once she realizes, I think she has a good quote on one of your podcasts you do with her, where she explains when she makes this shift about when she's going to get out Russell and when she has to uh, accept that he's going to go to the end. I was like, dude, what am I doing? This guy's the perfect goat. And so she gets to the point where it's down to this final eight and she's okay with now waiting things out to go to the end. And it's okay for her to let one to let um, Candace go. And then the the falling boot, it really is not, she's not really in on it. This is where she takes another ding at her accuracy for voting the, the boot out because she's not part of the Russell plan to take out Danielle. But I, I doubt that she was sad about that because she can't stand Danielle. It's interesting that the relationship with Rupert really deteriorates uh, between, they were so close in Pearl Islands, but here through heroes versus villains that they just are unable to get on the same page. It gets down to those last two heroes. You have um, Colby and you have Rupert and their only shot is they think that they can get out Sandra in some way. So that kind of pits Sandra then against Rupert. She can't do anything more with them. I think Sandra realizes she can't go to the end with, with a, um, with a hero. So it kind of cuts that, that relationship with Rupert. So by the time we get down to just Colby and Rupert, Russell is really starting to butt heads with Sandra and now Parvati and we have this point where Parvati and Sandra are like making fun of Russell and letting him hear the jokes that they're making about him. And he's getting like really pissed off about this. And he says to Sandra, hey, Sandra, you're either with me, you're either with me or you're against me. And that's where she, uh, you know, lying uh, upside down where she's doing on that bamboo rack just goes, I'm against you, Russell. <laughs> yeah, that drives him it's so crazy. Great. He loses yeah. it. <laughs> oh, well, we have a t- what we missed here too, which is something that sometimes we forget about is that she has an idol in her pocket at this point. Yeah, she finds the idol and she ends up not telling anybody about it. And I think that probably if we had to guess, if she finds an idol here in her third go round, don't expect Sandra to be telling anybody. No, about it. not at all. You know, and I, I just love watching that scene. You think about even though Sandra is such great television, you never get, you never get the sense that she's playing something up for the TV show that she's trying to get the fans to like, or she's getting, you know, she's trying to get a good soundbite and stuff. Because in this moment, you see how, you know, how dramatic people are when they, when they get their hidden immunity idol and it becomes this big thing. She starts reading it and then she's like, Oh crap, because I can't read this here. I'm going to get busted. And you see her put it away and walk away. And she doesn't have this great scene where she's reading it. She sticks it in her bra and we're going to see it pop out at tribal council. But she's, she said she's like looking out for numero uno the whole time. She's not going to share that with anyone else. So Sandra is going to then make it to the point where she has this conversation with Russell heading into what the final five or final four where Russell says, Sandra, I want to take you to the end because I know I can beat you. And she won't get a single vote, right? Yeah, you won't get any of the votes. And of course, that kicks us to. But I don't know about that. (laughs) What a great quote. 
<laughs> right. Uh, that's following once um, Russell wins that final four challenge. Santa knows he's going to the final three. He has the immunity. I need to work with him and decide where we're going to go, if it's going to be Parvati or Jerry there. And um, she's fine telling Russell, uh, I'm fine with $100,000. Yeah, that'll be great. She ends up sort of uh, locked in with Russell and then Russell is going to want to get rid of Parvati. But unfortunately for Jerry, uh, Parvati is going to win that final three immunity. They end up taking Jerry out, setting up the Russell, Sandra, Parvati final three. Now, Sandra is going to end up getting so many of the hero votes in that final tribal council. Can you pinpoint anything she does specifically to win favor with the jury? You know, I don't. I, I think just crafting this anti-Russell narrative is just so huge for her. And that's what people vote, you know, go for her over poverty. One thing that I really loved listening to some of her podcasts that she did post Heroes versus Villains is she talked about how, um, you know, on a rainy day at the at the Merge Tribe camp on, on Heroes versus Villains, when the villains would get bored, uh, Parvati and Russell and Danielle, they'd whip out uh, the letter that JT wrote. <laughs> and they would sit there and they would read it and they would laugh their asses off in front of everyone in the tribe. And Sandra said, at that time, I'm thinking, yeah, JT might be gone and he wrote that. He's like, but all the heroes were a part of that thing, too. So when you guys sit here and you laugh at these heroes and you talk about how what that's the dumbest move ever and what an idiot you are. They're not going to want to vote for you in the end. So I think she just like had that 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 relationship and understanding about what people are going to want to vote for in the end. And yeah, she gets some votes from these people that we might roll our eyes at of a Candace standing up and, you know, making her like, you know, that you know, poverty was like in an abusive relationship and these types of things uh, that sometimes we as, you know, survivor strategists, you know, we don't can't really get behind. The fact of the matter is she went to final tribal council. She spoke from the heart. She really hammered in this, you know, anti-Russell narrative, which I don't know how much of that was actually premeditated. I think that's just honestly how she felt about him. And, uh, you know, it gets her six votes again to win. Now, Paul, we've talked about her relationship with Johnny Fairplay and we talked about her relationship with Russell Hans. In this new season, in season 34, she's going to be on a starting tribe with Tony. Do you think that Sandra will look at Tony as a person who fits in that lineage of somebody that she is going to potentially be butting heads with and successfully so that it's going to help her get to the end, even though she may not personally like the person? Or is Tony just a completely different animal? I mean, I, I can see it going two ways with Tony. I think there's some some things about him and, and just how he speaks and, and how he kind of communicates with people that he definitely could fall into a Johnny Fairplay Russell type of person for her. But I also, there's a lot of Tony that I feel like she would appreciate in him. I feel like there's a lot that she would kind of get behind. So I don't think it's a done deal. And I think this is something that, you know, my, my fellow historian Mario and I have talked about, or he's talked about a lot, is he's really afraid for what happens to Sandra if she shows up on a season and there's not this big villain that she can bounce herself off of. I don't know how much of it strategically helps her, but I, I do think a, a big part of it is, is that a lot of this, you know, um, her being really bold and, and, and aggressive and yelling and stuff. When it's kind of channeled into one person, that almost gains her favor in a lot of ways from the other people around her that she's telling off the guy that other people don't like. So one, I think it could be challenging if she can't, you know, argue with Tony, maybe argue with Troy Zan about something. That's what I'm hoping for. A, a, a Sandra versus Troy Zan showdown. That would be a little bit more fun for me to watch. So I don't know what happens to Sandra if she doesn't have that person to be bouncing everything off against. Do you see any people in in this group that you think are natural allies for Sandra? I can see. So I, I kind of looking for her next Krista, her next, um, her next Courtney. I can see her maybe with uh, Michaela hitting it off with her. 
Um, maybe with eh, maybe with Sierra a little bit, but I think the person who has the mouth to keep up with Sandra would be Michaela for sure. Especially if they're in the same starting tribe. I feel like that her and Troy Zan, I think they used to do those RTV zone oh, that's right. recaps that's together. I feel like that they're friends. Yeah, no, that's that that's a very good point. Um, I feel like she will also have some relationship with Jeff Varner, the fact yes. that they're old school. They kind of you do the same kind of way. So, yeah, I think for Sandra, she's got to hope that she somehow is on a, an opposing group of, of people up against a Tony or, or a Malcolm or a Caleb or something. But uh, I see her I see her clicking with a good number of people on her tribe, but I don't see anyone that she's for sure going to be against on her tribe. Well, if Sandra runs into this problem that we are potentially seeing where she ends up losing some challenges early on. Do you think that she's going to have the wherewithal to be able to get through a couple of tribal councils if they are to go to maybe two or three pre-merge tribal councils? Um, well, I would never say no to Sandra. I would never say that, that for sure she's a goner. Um, I think what what does play into her advantage moving into these seasons is, you know, Heroes versus Villains was very much run uh, like an older school season in terms of they went how many tribal councils with no mix up. And it really was, you know, that tribe together. I'm sure these, these, these 20 are coming in thinking about, okay, we're going to go for two or three rounds. Then we're going to get into three tribes. Then we're going to go back to two tribes. So I think if people have that mindset, if, if the losing doesn't come to the mindset of we need to strengthen the tribe, I mean, it could end up like a Jeff Varner situation, even though he's all by himself, you know, that, that they said, you know, we lose two in a row and they say, we can't, we're such a small tribe now. We have to get rid of her. So I, I, I think that will be her biggest challenge yet as a player is if she does lose multiple challenges uh, at the beginning of the pre-merge. Right. And I think that, as you mentioned with that Jeff Varner situation where they go to Angkor, when they go down, if they go down to tribes of six, the importance of strength in the challenges is even bigger than it is in either of her first seasons, starting in a tribe of eight or a tribe of 10. Every single person has to be pulling their weight in those challenges, in those teams of six. And, you know, this is going to be Sandra. And maybe, who knows, she could show up in the best shape yet that we've seen of the three Sandras. You know, this is also going to be the oldest Sandra that we've had yet on the show. So who knows how she's going to be in those early challenges. Right. Well, I'll say this is something crazy about Sandra's age. It's like people for the longest time, when they would describe Sandra, early versions of Sandra, they always like referred to her as the middle-aged mom. Sandra yeah. was 29 when she played Pearl Islands. She was yeah. 35 when she played Heroes Versus. Finally, she's a millennial. She's, right, right. I've, finally, she's a 42-year-old mom. Like, finally, <laughs> her age were kind of reflects just because, you know, she was a mom, a young mom and stuff like that, and just kind of the way she handled herself. She just seemed like an older person on the show. So she actually, like, she still kind of fits the same role. It's not someone who comes back, you know, from how many years later you go, oh my gosh, so she's aged all this time. She looks kind of pretty much the same. All right, Paul. Any other final thoughts or misconceptions you want to clear up with Sandra? Um, I'm just super excited. I think my biggest fear going into it is that she's going to go out early and there's just going to be kind of this everyone talking about, you know, well, what do we tell you? You know, she's lucky. She's not that good at the game. She got lucky two times and this just proves it here. I think that we all win the more episodes that Sandra gets on the show. I'm not going to bet against her winning. I don't, 
I, I think there's a very large possibility she doesn't win, but I think the more episodes that Sandra um, ends up on the show, the better for us. Oh, and the other point I was going to make was this. It's interesting that, you know, she went 13 seasons in between seven and 20, and now she's going 14 seasons in between 20 and 34. And both times she has the biggest gap. This mm-hmm. time she's actually tied. She's actually tied with JT this time because um, they both, you know, played in Heroes versus Villains. But it's interesting that we talk about these structural similarities. And as I'm looking at this, one of the first things is kind of checked off structurally. She has the same amount of time off in between seasons. So uh, we'll see if that plays a factor for her. And in a way, though, Paul, if she was to be targeted early on and potentially be voted out early in this season, would that give Sandra the respect that she has not always gotten from the survivor community in that she's finally recognized as a huge threat to win the game? Uh, possibly. I mean, I'm obviously not going to hope for that, but I, I will be interested to see when she shows up on that beach, if people are scared of her like they are of Suri. Are they scared of her like they're scared of a Tony? So I think it'll be more interesting to see how the other players, because it's also different based on you know how we perceive her as the, the Survivor Online community and how she's going to be perceived on the show, because she came back in Heroes vs. Villains, even though she was a winner, not many people knew that much about her, which I don't think is going to be the case this time. Paul, what's your prediction on Sandra in season 34? And mm. I, I always I hate predicting. So I'm going to be optimistic prediction here because I don't want to jinx anything. I think we're going to see Sandra at the merge. I think we're going to get Sandra to the jury. And I think um, the fact that she's never going to win a challenge before when it gets to that final run, heading into that finale, she's going to be a big jury threat because they're going to say there's no way she gets to the end and doesn't win again based on her resume. And so she's never going to have the immunity to shield herself. So I'll say sixth place seventh place sandra okay all right i'd sign up for it it'll be fun it'll be a fun ride if we can get it anyway paul uh great job i really appreciated all the uh work that you put into this you definitely know your stuff and know your sandra uh if people want to follow you on twitter where do they go paul uh, you can follow me at, at paul Osselson. just my name p-a-u-l-a-s-l-e-s-o-n and then paul any other plugs you want to get out there for the other stuff you're doing uh, if you go to uh, survivorpodcast.com, you can uh, catch me on The Historians. Um, uh, the Historians comes up in that feed as well as uh, the regular episodes of The Tribe. So that's where you can can find information on me. Well, Paul, thanks again. And good luck to Sassy Sandra in season 34. I'll end this podcast with the way she end, ended every one of her confessionals in Pearl Islands. Adios. <laughs> Adios. All right, there you have it. Paul Hasselson. Paul did a really great job. I always love to have Paul on the podcast. I like how he always specifically doesn't just remember what happened, but could also tell you like what he was doing and who he was with when he's talking about that specific thing where I remember exactly where I was. I was eating this lollipop with my friend from this grade and it's a phenomenal job. That's why he's a survivor historian and always fun to have him here with us on the podcast. Now, if you want to do a deeper dive into Sandra's two seasons, you could always check out the evolution of strategy, of course, that she's featured prominently in TEOS chapter seven and TEOS chapter 20, which Josh Wiggler and I are about to do a re-listen to, to talk about and answer your feedback questions on a podcast coming up later on this week. So if you want to check that out and get ahead of the curve, 
You can check out all of the chapters at evolutionofstrategy.com. All right, let's, let's switch gears and get into talking with Aaron Robertson, who took a little bit of a different approach. Of course, he watched all of Sandra's seasons, but also went back and listened to all of Sandra's podcast appearances and much more to talk about Sandra and how she might look at the other people who are competing with her on Survivor Game Changers. Here is my conversation with Aaron Robertson. All right, so let's keep going with our conversation talking about Sandra today. And it is my pleasure to bring in another one of the biggest Sandra supporters that you're ever going to meet that he's uh, calling in all the way from Korea. Please welcome to talk more about Sandra Diaz-Twine, the queen, Aaron Robertson. Aaron, how are you? I'm so excited to be here and podcast not only about Sandra but also with you believe it or not we haven't podcasted together since December 4th 2012 oh my god it's almost uh 5 years this year yeah that was the uh amazing race 21/survivor philippines finale preview the famous uh podcast where i used spreecast and google chrome together and <laughs> the results were spectacular <laughs> yes well you know what you're still here and Spreecast is not. So what do no. they know, Aaron? Right? <laughs> yeah, they don't know anything about microphones, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Aaron, of course, uh, you've also heard him on reality TV Rehap Ups talking about the rise and fall of many different reality series. One day in the future, we'll talk about the rise and fall of Hunted as well. Yeah, I definitely think that will be one of those series that we'll talk about in the future. In the future. Okay, way way in the future. So Aaron, uh, let's continue talking about Sandra and your appreciation of her game. So what, what was it about Sandra that made you say, this is, uh, if not my all-time favorite Survivor, one of the top ones for you? You know, when I first got into Survivor, um, it was 2005 around Survivor Guatemala. And I had only caught the tail end of it. And I was in Barnes and Noble and they had DVDs for sale. And ironically, the first season I picked up was All Stars. And so I watched that first. And then the season after that I picked up was Pearl Islands. Mm -hmm. And so watching it, it was, I don't know, I just really enjoyed the feel of the season and sort of seeing Sandra, um, I was in a dark place at the at the time I was watching Survivor with, you know, stuff going on with my dad's health in my own family. And both my parents were in the military. And so was Sandra and her husband. And so I felt like I could relate to her right from the get go. And so I think from there, my appreciation for her just grew over time to where I was so ecstatic to see her back in Heroes versus Villains. Now that I see her in this cast, though, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, oh, I don't know. I'm actually pretty nervous for her uh, this time around, but we'll, we'll see what happens. Okay, we'll talk about it all. So Paul and I had talked through her game from the Pearl Islands and then from Heroes versus Villains. But uh, do you feel like, is there anything that you want to add to uh, what Paul said in terms of her game? Like, what's your view of Sandra the player? Ah, okay. Are you familiar with Greek mythology? Uh, probably not as much as you are. <laughs> okay, well, there is this lady. She is the daughter of Hecuba and Priam. And Hecuba, uh, Queen Hecuba and King Priam, they were the rulers of Troy. And Apollo gave their daughter the gift to tell the future. And then he tried to sleep with her. That did not work. Mm -hmm. And so as a result, he cursed her so that 
no one would believe her prophecies. And guess what her name is? Sandra? It's, yeah, it's Cassandra. So Cassandra, the daughter of Hecuba and Priam, has the ability to tell the future, but nobody believes her. And I feel like in the edit of Survivor and even afterwards, it's been a common theme that has come up where Sandra will say something and then people don't believe her. And then it comes true. And, you know, Sandra's like, I told you so. And they're like, oh, I should have listened to you. Um, and there's there's several examples throughout Pearl Islands and Heroes versus Villains of this. For instance, in episode 11 of Pearl Islands, this is the one where Tawana goes home. She took Tawana into the woods to overhear John and Burton talking. Now, Tawana probably was one of the only ones that did kind of believe her because it actually came from their mouths, but she didn't use the information right and she still ended up going home. Uh, the next episode, that's the one where Krista goes home and right before she does, uh, Sandra tells Krista, if I were you, I would be looking out for myself. This is how we're going to stay alive. Um, unfortunately, Krista does not use that information at all well. Mm -hmm. uh, the next episode uh, was where Burton goes home and uh, Burton and John are off on reward and the girls are in the shelter discussing whether to take him out. And Lil's talking about like, oh, you know, they're telling me to get rid of Darren. I don't want to do that. And Sandra's in confessional says, I've always said that they're both snakes and I've always said that they're both liars. So everything that Lil was saying was stuff I already said, but it wasn't until, you know, she re uh, it was too late to that um, Lil realized, oh, wait, we have to get rid of the, the boys. Uh, and then finally, in the final tribal council, Rupert asked Sandra on day 27, when I was booted out of this game, did you know what was going on? And Sandra said, oh, I didn't know you were going home. I wrote down John's name and I assumed everyone was voting for Dara so that it didn't matter. But remember, I always told you something's going down. Don't trust John. But you're going Drake this, Drake that, Alliance this. You didn't listen to me. Mm -hmm. And look what happened. You went you went home. Even in challenges uh, like heroes versus villains, uh, there's the one where they're putting together that. It was like the one based from Token Sheens where they put together that big cube of blocks yes. together and Rob like stumps down on it. Uh, there's at one point where Sandra tells them to put a piece somewhere and they didn't listen to her. Turns out she was right. Mm -hmm. She goes, oh, that's the one I said went on the bottom. They told me no. Um, and then the whole thing with Coach, you know, where she's talking to Courtney, you know, I'm going to work my magic and we're both going to be here on day 22 and day 23. Note that she stopped on day 23 and Courtney ended up leaving on day 24. So she was very right with her um, <laughs> right. prophecy there. Yeah, there's a bunch of things like this. And I'm sure that when she gets to the merge tribe and she's trying to warn the heroes about Russell Hance, uh, they're not mm -hmm. listening to her either. Nope. Yeah. And again, the same thing at that final tribal council where she's trying making a case like, I told you guys, I told you guys Russell was a bad guy. Nobody was listening to me. Yeah. Cassandra, Sandra. That's pretty amazing. So uh, great job uh, with that uh, piece of research, Aaron. So let's talk about maybe some other things that Sandra has said about her game and what she might be thinking if she was to ever play a third time. Now, one of the things that you worked on was to go back and listen to Sandra's many appearances on Rob Has a Podcast. Could you take us yeah. through some of the highlights that you found? Okay. The ver I'm going to go all the way back to the first appearance of her with you all the way back in 2010. It was uh, June 13th. So this was after uh, Heroes vs. Villains had already finished uh, and you and Nicole did a winner's interview with her. And at one point she said, you were talking about the possibility of her playing again. And she said, yes, let this be a lesson. If I ever play again and you're playing with me, if I tell you something 
that's because that's how it is. Then uh, jump ahead to uh, Reality Rally 2012. Um, This is still during One World is going on at this point. Uh, And she said, you know, if I'm back in the game, you know, I'm in trouble because I have two million standing in my way. I wouldn't be scared to go back. But at the same time, I would be scared to be the first one going home. Mm -hmm. I think perhaps the biggest treasure trove of Sandra information is not even from Robin has a podcast. It's from when you, her, Cochran and Parvati did the Survivor Roundtable with Jeff Probst uh, to celebrate 30 seasons of Survivor for Worlds Apart. Sure. And there is a lot of questions that were asked, and I try to write down as as much as I I could. She said, um, it was asked her, what do you mean when you say as long as it isn't me? And she says, because for me, I have to ensure my safety. So let's, if say I feel like I'm in trouble, I have to create some commotion some drama somewhere else to where now they don't hate me anymore. Now they might need me to help vote out someone else who might not be after them. But because I say, hey, they're after you, maybe I make them panic. At the end of the day, as long as it's not me, it's like I will do anything. What I do, it might not be right for you, might not be right for you. Uh, You might have a different set of ethics. But for me, as long as it's not me and I get to the end, that's all that matters. That's what's right for me. You know, that is one of the really great things about Sandra, where I think a lot of people go out onto Survivor and try to figure out who they are or they know who they are, but they're going to try and play differently. Sandra knows exactly who she is. She knows what works Mm -hmm. for her, and she's very confident in what she can do out there. And I think that that's one of the things that is uh, really interesting about her, just the confidence in who she is and what she's capable of as a person. And she doesn't really get it twisted in terms of like, okay, well my strength is this. And so it's like, she's really good at the self-assessment of what she's capable of. Yeah. And Parvati uh, adds to that. She says the thing that Sandra is really good at is not having an allegiance to anyone. So with like me, I was like, Oh my God, Amanda is my alliance. It's like, I can never betray her. And Sandra's like, I will cut you. So it doesn't matter for like whatever. She's very present with how she plays. So one day someone could be her number one ally. And the next day that person gets voted out. Now Sandra has another number one and another number one. So she's able to separate her human emotions from real life from playing Survivor. And I think that's a real challenge for most people playing the game. Was there anything uh, in uh, Sandra's more recent appearances on the podcast where she talked about the possibility of playing a third time? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, there was a point where she said something like, if you're a fan, if you watch the show, you get paranoid. If you say, you know, Cocker, do you think you're going home? If I'm in my living room, I'm like, oh, damn, he's going home. But we don't realize that you already asked two other people the same thing. But to the viewers, so if you ask me, you know, Sandra, do you think you're going home? And you ask me first, I'm like, oh, hell, they're going to send me packing. And so they talked about her playing a third time. And she said, you know, I can help you get to the end. Why not want me there next to you? Who's going to give me another third million dollars? Hands down, you're going to get every vote in the jury. And I think that's probably going to be maybe some weird form of the the Jimmy from Jimmy Survivor Johnson. Nicaragua. Yeah. yeah, Jimmy Johnson. Where it's like, oh, you know, I already have a million dollars. They're not going to vote for, you know, for me to win. So it's best for me to work with you and get to the end. And I think Sandra's going to be very cautious, but also very flexible, but also very upfront about the fact that, you know, yeah, I won twice. They're not going to give me a third, like two times. Okay, maybe, but three, like Mm -hmm. there's 
no way. There's no way. I don't know about that argument. You know, I think that Sandra is good at being underestimated, but I feel like that that's never worked. I know you talked about it with Jimmy Johnson. I remember going mm-hmm. into All Stars where Richard Hatch was saying and Ethan was trying to tell people like, hey, I'm already a winner. Nobody's going to vote for me to win again. If that's what she's going to sell people, well. But I don't know about that. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, I don't know about that either. People might be too smart for that one. But you know, strangely, I have this weird feeling that it's going to be like Sandra is so threatening that it's almost like the target's not even going to be there. Unlike the other people there, she's the only double winner. Like, I feel like that on top of everything else, she's just going to like be so much out in front that she can't, you don't look at her. It was uh, the great Dr. Will Kirby who once talked about a target so big that it was invisible. And uh, yeah. that could be something that Sandra has. And, and the thing about Sandra, I think that is uh, the best thing that she could do is people always say, oh, we can get her later. And I think that that's really what she needs to like. She needs to continue to be underestimated where, yeah, she does have this resume. But I think that people need to see with their own eyes. But, no, but nobody's going to vote for her. And then that's really where she excels when people are sleeping on her. And so uh, maybe she could do that again. But again, two championships already in her bag of tricks. It'll be interesting to see if she can get under the radar in this game. So let's talk a little bit about the people that she's going to be playing with here in season 34. And Sandra, again, one of the most opinionated survivors. So I'm sure that uh, there have been a lot of people in this cast that she has spoken about at one point or another. So let's take a look at the tribe that she's starting on in this game. Do you see any natural allies for Sandra? You know, I think she and Michaela are going to get on very well. Yeah. I'm kind of glad that she's not with Ozzy because otherwise I would have been very, very, very worried just because of his emphasis on athletic ability in in challenges that, you know, early on. You know who I'm really excited to see Sandra with? And I'm so glad they're together is Sandra and Tony. I think they are going to gel together so well. And a lot of the things that Sandra was doing, you know, Tony also does think about like spying Tony tried to do a spy check, but Sandra was already doing that and doing that like way better and getting so much more information out of it. I think how Sandra dare you? Teach- how dare you say Sandra <laughs> did the spy shack better than Tony? I think Sandra could teach, you know, she, she doesn't even need to build a, a spy shack. I think she can definitely teach Tony a few things. And I think because they're both winners, they're probably also going to needy. Mm. Ah, it's so weird because I don't know how people are going to view winners in the season if they're going to like revert back to some weird hybrid of all stars where it's like we need to get the winners out first or if it won't even be a factor like heroes versus villains that that fact remains to be seen but depending on how much focus is on the winners i still think regardless sandra and tony will probably be gravitate towards each other maybe i might see michaela going to i might see jeff because jeff and sandra are the only two you know pre all stars people in this cast they're like the you know the original school so I could see them coming together as well. Let's explore the Sandra and Tony thing a little bit, because I think that the conventional wisdom has been that Sandra and Tony may not get along, that he could be like a fair play or Russell Hans type character in her eyes. So why are you so confident that they will be working together in season 34? You know, I think Sandra in each of her seasons has had like a larger than life 
foil to her and she's been able to bounce around. But I think unlike Russell and unlike Fair Play, I don't consider Tony as much of a like villain for the sake of being a villain. I think he's more game centered in a lot of his logic. And Fair Play was also game centered a lot in his logic. And Russell was he had some malice in his game. He used a lot of intimidating tactics, scare tactics to keep people in line. Fair Play, you know, also made weird comments about people. And then when he drank, that was also not pleasant to see. I think unlike those two, I think Tony is probably the best kind of that character you would want without hating them. It's like Mm -hmm. he's right at the line. but He doesn't go over the line. He's erratic in the game, but it's never personal. He's argued with people before, but it's never been like something where you walk away going like, you know, man, Tony's a jerk. I think I might have heard a, a couple of people uh, say that during a uh, Survivor Kagiyan, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> depends. But I think I think if Sandra can wake up in the morning, because she always says this, you know, if I can wake up in the morning and I don't hate you, then you're good. <laughs> then you're good. <laughs> yeah, and I I don't know. I think Tony would be funny enough to where, although I do I do see the potential. Either they're going to be really close or they're going to hate each other. Mm-hmm. But I do think they kind of need each other. And so in some weird way, I think regardless of their relationship, I think their games will depend on the other one still being in the game, I think. Yeah, for me, I think it's hard to imagine a scenario where either of them does well without the other one. I could just see like uh, where Sandra is like yelling at Tony, like down at the Mm -hmm. final five. And that would be like the my dream come true for this season. (laughs) Uh, But it's hard to imagine the scenario where, you know, Tony is exceeding and Sandra is targeted and vice versa. So if people say, hey, let's get rid of Tony on the first vote, she's in on that. Well, no, I don't know, because I remember the same thing happened in Heroes versus villains where people were like let's get rid of poverty first and sandra's like uh, no because as soon as poverty goes and it means i'm gonna go mm-hmm. aaron in your mind does sandra have any friends on this cast I, nobody jumps out to me as soon as i saw the cast i was very nervous for sandra and that was because of one person that was Suri, mm-hmm. because i know Suri has this tendency to lock on to targets very early Maybe it worked for her in Micronesia when she did it to Yao Man, but it really did not work for her in Heroes vs. Villains when she tried to do it to Tom. So I wonder if Suri is going to adopt the strategy of wanting to keep those threats in the game so nobody's looking at Suri. Because I really do think that she'll also be one of those other people that will be under fire. So I think like Tony, either Suri and Sandra are going to be like really close or they're going to be like, butting heads. Aaron, do you know anything of a feud between Sandra and Suri that I've heard whispers where Suri said uh, that she thought that Russell uh, should have won or Poverty should have won in Heroes versus Villains and uh, Sandra really took exception to that. Do you know if there's any bad blood between Sandra and Suri? Yeah, you know, when she talked to you uh, after Heroes versus Villains, you know, she had mentioned that she didn't really... She hadn't really done a lot of communicating with Suri during the game. So I don't know if, uh, well, obviously this probably had to have happened after um, Heroes vs. Villains aired. But it would have happened at the time we did the interview. So if she really had bad blood, I think she would have. Like, Sandra doesn't mince her words. No, no, she doesn't. And I think it's it's hard to gauge. Mm. And maybe whatever happened, I think they'll have to throw that water under the bridge. Because I do think 
just like Sandra and Tony, I think Sandra and Sari, at least for a while, might need each other in the game as some sort of, there'll come a point where they'll need each other. Sandra was last on the podcast with me on April 30th, 2015, where Mm -hmm. we talked about episode 11 of Survivor Worlds Apart. Did she have anything to say about the fan favorite, the other SDT, (laughs) Sierra Dawn Thomas? Surprisingly, no, because a lot (laughs) of the focus... How did she not have anything to say about Sierra Don Thomas 11 episodes into? She didn't say one thing about Sierra Don Thomas 11 episodes into Worlds Apart? She did, but it was always in the context of like who and Mike and Shireen could have voted with to save her. Because it was this was the one where um, Mike did not play his idol and Shireen went home. And then, you know, Shireen, Dan, Tyler. She liked Mike, Tyler, and Carolyn. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Shireen will... Rodney, like Dan, they all took like most of the Mike took most of the conversation. So there was uh, not a lot to say about Sierra. And I don't even know if Haley was even in the in the picture. So why? Um, I mean, those are real. Those, I mean, those people are game changers. I mean, I can't believe why Sandra wouldn't be talking about them so much in a podcast about that episode during the season. We should have seen it coming. SDT, SDT. <laughs> that would be the alliance of the series but i don't know how she would view them she generally liked you know like the people that she you you did talk to her about she did mutually like them she liked malcolm i remember her saying that she wished that you know malcolm could have whooped denise in philippines mm-hmm. um, and she said something about malcolm said it best when he was saying listen once the merch happens they're going to come after us and it's true um, so I do think that Malcolm probably is going to be under fire pretty early on, but I think Sandra might like him enough to want to keep him around unless that's where the tide is going. And then if that's the case, then she'll probably cut Malcolm anyway. Aaron, on April 4th, 2013, I talked to Sandra during Survivor Caramel. And did Andrea come up at all in that conversation? I tried to listen for Andrea. No. Hmm. I really don't remember. Yeah, she was all about Cochrane. She loves Cochrane. That was this was the episode where Corinne went home. So a lot of the talk was centered around, you know, Corinne being dumb for, you know, making the move against Philip when she did. And, you know, whether her and Malcolm could have done something different to hmm. save themselves. And, you know, Philip and Don took um a lot of the conversation. I'm actually surprised that Andrea was not there. I did hear about Eric and Brenda, though, but uh, no, <laughs> not too much, <laughs> not now, too much uh, Andrea action. But from what you heard, Sandra is pretty pro Malcolm. Yeah. Yeah, she is. What do you think about Sandra and Jeff Varner? That he seems like a troublemaker. Do you think that she likes Jeff Varner? Mm, yeah, I think uh, I'm kind of thinking they might be similar. Either they're going to be like when Sandra appeared in uh, 2012 with Kobe. It'd probably be like a maybe uh, I kind of see a relationship sort of like that. Or I don't know if Sandra's going to either Sandra's going to stir up stuff with Jeff or she's not going to take it and want him out. What about Troy Zan? I feel like that Sandra and Troy Zan are friends. Loves Troy Zan. Um, she said that she likes Troy Zan. And at the time, this was the episode that Matt went home when, uh, when she did the podcast with Kobe. Um, and so, yeah, she knows that Troy Zan knows the game. You know, mm-hmm. Colton wasn't the only one that knew the game. Troy Zan knew the game, too. And he knows what's going on. And so I think 
Uh, Troyzan and Sandra, I would not be surprised if they came together. I actually wouldn't be surprised if Troyzan, you know, wanted to use Sandra as a tool to help him get closer to the end and have a good shot at winning. And I think Sandra would roll with that. Yeah, I think that Troyzan is a schmoozer when it comes to all of these uh, Survivor alumni. Yeah. Especially like the people from like the older seasons. I think that he is uh, pretty well connected. Yeah, I, I would say so. Thinking about everybody else, uh, I'm actually curious as to what she would be like with Aubrey. I That's a big question mark. Same with Sierra. I'm not too... It's interesting to me because I feel like that you mentioned that back in Survivor Worlds Apart, she really didn't like Shireen. And I wonder if I feel like, and not to say that Aubrey is exactly the same as Shireen, but I feel like that this is the kind of woman that I feel like that Sandra does not typically get along with well. I feel like that she likes uh, more of like a wisecracking, snarky Mm, type person. But I feel like that Aubrey is uh, not the type of person that Sandra really jives with. Yeah, I feel like, and especially if Aubrey reverts to anything she was like during Korong. You know, obviously we didn't see this because we saw more through the edit. But for those that were there with Aubrey, there was always this nervous energy around her. Like, what is she going to do? You know, she just seemed like all over the place. And I feel like Sandra would not be about that. You know, Sandra's simple. You know, she doesn't need all this this complicated. It's straight talk with Sandra and anybody who does any sort of like beating around the bush. I feel like that that is just not consistent with the energy that she puts out there. No. And in that sense, I actually do think that maybe Caleb and her might do well together. Beast Boy Cowboy. I could see yeah, it. Beast Boy Cowboy. Because, you know, Caleb's pretty straightforward. He's been pretty straightforward all the way through. You know, granted, he's never been to a tribal council before yet. But I, I do think that sort of same approach to talking to people and strategy might bring the two of them together. Although, yeah, he's somebody where it's like a blessing and a curse. I'm sure he does not know anything about her survivor resume. That's no. a good thing. But... He also may just look at her as a person like, uh, why don't we just vote out this person who is not a major contributor in the challenges? Why is she even here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think with as far as Michaela goes, uh, like I did say earlier, I do think they might go well together because of the ladies there. I think Michaela has the most snark. Yeah. Or at least would be the most likely to like be like. A similar role to Courtney. I could see Sierra also being a possibility candidate for that role. She has that same energy. Yeah, it just depends on how mad Michaela is or how annoyed Michaela is with the other people. Um, because there was a lot of arguing. I remember she or fighting that she did early in the season. Aaron, going back to Zeke, Sandra once played on a tribe with somebody that she did not see before. From a previous season, I guess in terms of Michaela, who I think that she's probably going to be able to get a fair read on Michaela and say, this is who Michaela is. I don't think she's hiding anything. Do you think that she would potentially look at Zeke as, hey, there was this guy in a fedora who showed up on one of my seasons. We let him get away with murder. We didn't we felt like you couldn't have been that bad of a guy. 
Do you think that she will potentially be very untrusting of Zeke if they meet in the game? I think at an initial, like, first meeting, maybe she might like him because he, he may, might come off a little nerdier. Mm-hmm. But I think once she notices what he's doing or she, like, sneaks up on him and catches him talking about something, I think she's going to be turned off right away. And depending on if she's able to get that, you know, Survivor Brooklyn intel, um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, that'll determine whether or not there'll be some extra stuff about him more than just, you know, we didn't see his season. So did Sandra talk at all with me in any podcast that we've done about her preparation in terms of like changing up her workout routine? I don't know if she's been about that life. I feel like that maybe and maybe it was in conversations that we had off air, but I feel like that she had been at least, you know, exercising in, you know, in between seasons, not like she was getting ready, but I think that she had like in the years following heroes versus villains, I think that that was a concern for her that she was going to be targeted for, you know, being somebody who couldn't contribute in the challenges. And that was one of the things that she had been trying to work on about herself. Yeah, she mentioned that because um, I remember you you both had been asked about what's the worst aspect of Survivor. And you said that it's the, the rain. Mm hmm. And then Sandra noted that, you know, for me, it's the physical challenges because it's going to highlight, you know, today how weak a player Sandra is because she's not as physical like everybody else. But I do think I think if she's physical enough and not like a complete detriment, I think that'll work in her favor to where people aren't going to view her as a major threat. Luckily for Sandra in Heroes vs. Villain, she also had Randy who had injured himself and then Courtney. Um, so it wasn't like she was the only one that was necessarily like weaker in the physical side. And plus she had the mental aspect when her and Rob did puzzles together. Mm-hmm. So I, she, she really did help in that department. And maybe if she's able to keep up and then, uh, you know, bring it home in a puzzle or something, I think she'll be able to survive. And I think with her tribe, I think they'll do very well in, in challenges. I can see, this team working together. Whereas with the other tribe, I feel like they just would not mesh mm-hmm. as well. I get that feeling that some of those people are just going to really kind of clash and not really come together all that well. If there was one Sandra interview that we've done over the years that you would recommend people listen to, if they had time for one of them, which one would you recommend they listen to? You know, I kind of would say her... Her first one with you, all the way back in Heroes versus Villains, only because I think you get a highlight into what she's thinking about in the game. And she constantly, you know, mentions things like, you know, for me, I don't think about the road. I just think day by day, I pay attention to detail and gives a lot of insight into different scenarios where people would come up to her. She would warn them about something. They didn't listen. It was like multiple stories, even outside of what we saw during the game. So I think it's a really good podcast to get her, you know, in the freshest she was out of Survivor and sort of really getting into her head about what she was thinking. Right. We'll link to all of those shows. Yeah, that's from June 2010. So it's like a month after uh, the end of Heroes versus Villains. Okay, Aaron, give me a prediction on Sandra. How's she going to do in season 34? I think if she's able to survive the first 12 days, I I'm going to say she's at least final five. That's the thing. If she can hang on to that bull for the first couple of first couple of rounds of the rodeo, then she's usually going to be pretty good. Do you think what are the chances that we have a third Sandra win? 
you know, it's not zero. I don't think it's zero. I think Sandra is the kind of player to where she's able to adapt so well. And nobody has been in this position before, you know, not only coming back as a winner, but only being a winner, like both times she played. So it's sort of like, I'm going to say good 30% chance. 30% chance. That's, that's very strong. That's very high. Yeah. I'm going to say, I, I want to believe, but also <laughs> being realistic. Okay. Aaron, uh, great job here going through uh, some of the stuff that Sandra might be doing in season 34. If people want to track you down on social media, what's the best way for them to do it? Uh, follow me on Twitter at uh, SPI7Fan, which stands for Survivor Pearl Islands 7Fan. Yes. <laughs> Easy to remember. And then, uh, yeah, I also do um, music of Survivor intros on YouTube. That's a thing. And what? And what's the link? What? What do you? When you say music of Survivor intros, uh, what do you? What do you do? Um, I've for years I've just been like remixing different intros of Survivor and creating my own themes. Um, even um, after Wrestling Dow stopped doing them, and a lot of people take my themes and use them in their own Survivor videos, which is really flattering. But um, yeah, it's been a cool experience doing that stuff. Okay. Well. Aaron, uh, thank you again for all your hard work going back and listening to all of the Sandra interviews that we've done and watching all of her footage once again. Uh, really great stuff. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. All right. Take care, buddy. All the best. All right. All right, everybody. There you have it. Aaron Robertson talking about Sandra Diaz Twine. I really did love the uh, Greek mythology analogy for uh, Sandra. Her ability to see the future, but nobody believes her. Would be very fun if that comes up again here in Survivor Game Changers. So let's get you ready for what's coming up next. So this week I told you there's going to be four episodes of this podcast series. We're going to have one Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Thursday we'll have the Hunted Finale podcast. And then Friday we'll be back with the final piece of this series. So tomorrow coming up on Tuesday... On Game Changers Preview number nine, I'm very excited to bring you our Miss Survivor entry as Andrea Belke is returning. I'm very excited to talk about all things Andrea with Nina Stoddard. And then we are going to talk through all things Beast Mode Cowboy with Jen Manning. So Andrea and Beast Mode Cowboy coming up for you guys here on Tuesday. I do want to thank again Ali Giancola for all of her work. I know I thanked her in the first Game Changers preview, but I just want to thank her again. I feel like that the series is coming along really, really well, and she helped me out so much with going through all the applications. So just wanted to say once again, thanks so much to Ali for making all of this possible in, in terms of helping me track down all of these people and then also booking all these podcasts. So again, major props to Ali Giancola. Over the weekend, we had our patron cast number 35, our call-in show where the patrons can call in and I chat and answer questions from them about anything that they want to talk about. Had a lot of fun. So if you have the patron podcast feed, be sure to check that out. If you think that being a patron might not be right for you. But I don't know about that. <laughs> feel free. Take a peek sometime at some of the benefits of becoming a patron on our Patreon page. Go to robhasawebsite.com slash patron. There's a video there that shows all sorts of behind the scenes stuff about how I do the podcast. We also have some new fun stuff that we're planning on rolling out with the new Survivor season around the corner. So check that out if you're interested. Robhasawebsite.com slash 
patron. So that's going to do it for me here today. Can't wait to come back with Andrea and Beast Mode Cowboy talk for you guys tomorrow. Looking forward to seeing what you guys had to say on RobHasAWebsite.com. And of course, I love hearing from you guys on social media. I'm at Rob Sestrino on Twitter. Have a good one, everybody. Take care. Bye.